0: You're listening to Sass Nordic, the sassiest podcast in the Nordics. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas.
1: And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams and great products.
0: Join us on our journey as we speak to Nordic SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce.
1: And today's guest is Jenny Sakström, the CEO at Uh
2: I think that this is a uh, two-headed monster. <laughs> we need to feed both heads.
1: Welcome to a new episode of the Sass Nordic podcast, and we are closing in on Christmas.
0: We are indeed, we are indeed. And it feels a little bit crazy, actually, that it wasn't... Too long ago, we started this and and now we're here, Thomas, like 13 months later, a bunch of episodes behind us. It's been a crazy ride, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's still busy times. We are starting up two huge networks here starting in 2022 and we have the CEO network. We are more than 75 applicants. So if you're interested in being in a unique B2B SaaS network where you can spar with peers every month in, in a meeting i think you should go to the sas nordic website and sign up
0: indeed you should indeed you should. It's, it's a fantastic cohort of people there's going to be a lot of great discussion so we hope to see you all there
1: absolutely and just reach out to us if you want to know more but not only that we also have the executive network so if you are in a vpoc level role we have 10 different networks from everything from sales marketing to customer success finance and people you also go to the sas nordic website we have more than 120 applicants there so it's gonna be great and very interesting
0: as well indeed it will indeed it will and i think thomas this is the last episode we have before uh, the new year's right and then we also go on a mini break and then We'll catch up with all of you guys in all these forums and podcasts will be back again beginning of January.
1: Absolutely. And we have some really exciting stuff for 2022, but we're going to save some of that. Ooh, cliffhanger. like it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we have some announcements to make quite soon. But uh, today we have a really interesting guest and we're going to go over the sea to United States and we're going to find some amazing talent there. So... Uh, Join us in this interview. Today, we are very happy to have Jenny Sogström, the CEO at Sköna here as a guest in the SAS
0: Nordic podcast. So welcome, Jenny.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: It's so nice to have you here, Jenny. And it's always nice to have uh, one of our, our Nordic uh, compatriots, but living across the pond here. Tell us a little bit. How, how did you end up there?
2: Yeah, it's uh, been quite a few years. I actually moved to San Francisco, it's 21 years ago now. Um, I I finished my degree, started working in advertising in uh, Stockholm, and I was in an agency where I remember there was a guy talking about Bluetooth, and they were developing all this cool technology, and he would bring in Wired magazine to the office, and it was all about Silicon Valley. Uh, and then I actually got an opportunity to come over here. And so, you know, I couldn't, couldn't say no. So uh, it was, let's see here, Halloween. That is October 31st, uh, 1999. Um, and what was supposed to be a year or two, <laughs> I guess, turned into 21. <laughs> uh, so
1: what's so good about it then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: there's so much that's good about it. But when I first came, it was the dot-com boom. Uh, I started working in an, uh, in an ad agency here. Uh, it was uh, a West Coast uh, regional agency. Uh, we had three offices and 90 people. And uh, we did a little bit of uh, dot-com stuff, a little bit of HP, some of those more traditional brands. But we also did a bunch of casinos and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, this advertising.
0: Yeah, in th- I th- in my mind, it sounds like a perfect mix. Twenty years ago, HP yeah. and casinos. What else do you need?
2: <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, no. And we were like, like I said, we were ninety people uh, on a Friday, uh, and then on the Monday we were five. <laughs> okay. So it was a that was a that was two thousand and two two thousand and one two thousand and two.
1: Yeah, but I know that you were one of the five, right? That that got to stay.
2: I was lucky enough one of the five because I was on a so called H one B visa, which meant that I was tied to my employer and I couldn't just leave. So if I would lost my job, I would have been on the streets and I would have this. The story would have been very different. I would have ended up back in Stockholm. Yeah, you
1: wouldn't have been on this podcast.
2: <laughs> well, I would have been running the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> i would have been on your side asking the questions
1: you would have been one of the SAS companies that would have been on the podcast but now it took another journey so so um could you tell us about what you ended up doing or or what you do now um, over there
2: yeah so what I ended up doing was I worked there for as long as it took for me to get a green card. Um, and we can talk about how I got that later, but it's <laughs> actually not that exciting, but we'll make it sound more <laughs> exciting than it is. Uh, and the minute I got my green card, I handed in my notice, um, and I started Sköna, or as we have been known for the last 20 years, Skona.
1: <laughs> All right. And uh, how, how does that resonate in U.S.? What do they think about when they hear s- Here's Guna.
2: Uh, I think that um, forever. I picked the name on purpose because I wanted a name that sounded Swedish, that had the umlauts, that reflected a little bit of Swedish culture.
0: And it sounds a little like it's a little bit inspired by IKEA.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, you know, people always ask me to read out the names in the IKEA catalog. It's, you know, like it's a pastime. It's very odd. But yeah, a little bit inspired by IKEA maybe. But more than anything, I think what I wanted was um, a name that, you know, Harken back to I think Sweden as a brand still holds really high internationally. And I wanted a brand, I wanted my brand to kind of capitalize on what, what that means, firstly. Um and I think so so from a design perspective perspective, from an aesthetic perspective, from functional design. Uh, but I think actually more than anything, I'd worked in agencies where now, you know, I came from Sweden, I started working in the US, I realized there's layers and layers of hierarchy, right. um, there's a lot of undeserved swagger, it takes a really long time to get anything done. I mean, I remember being, you know, 24, sitting in an ag- agency and wondering, like, why Why isn't things happening faster? Right. So part of the reason when I started Skona... Honestly, I can say I it was like this dream of coming up with a social democratic advertising agency in the Bay Area, where you know hierarchy wasn't as prominent, where good ideas could come from anywhere and not just the ECD, uh, and that we you know would do things better, uh, that people wouldn't be so scared about speaking their minds, speaking their opinions.
1: It sounded like communism for a while, <laughs> but then you came into speaking their mind, and then maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yes,
2: yes, yes. <laughs> so that was kind of the dream uh, when I first started. So the name had to reflect it. And also, I mean, I, had, I was going to say, I also had two partners when I started, and their last names were Springer and Cho. So it would have been Sagstrom, Springer, and Cho, and that there's just no combination of those three names. That,
1: oh. And since my name is Sjöberg, I know it's very hard for the Americans to pronounce Sjö. So it can be, it can be quite funny.
2: It is quite ca- funny.
1: So what can you tell us about
2: Sköna? Yeah, so what can I tell you about Sköna? So we started, like I said, 2003. I don't know if I mentioned the name, but that's when we first started. Uh, And initially, we were not a B2B tech agency, which we are today. Uh, Initially, we worked with uh, the Oakland Raiders, the football team. Uh, We worked with the San Francisco Examiner, the newspaper here. Uh, We worked with Alcatraz Island, uh, you know, where the the prison island, bunch of restaurant chains, and so forth. Quite a mix. Yeah, and a casino as well, actually. So we, <laughs> <laughs> you got to have a casino in there.
1: I mean, it's a whole weekend. You can do sports. You can go to Alcatraz. You can gamble a bit.
2: And yeah. and I will say, back in two thousand and eight, nine, ten, working with the casino was a very uh, good way to avoid the downturn.
1: Oh uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> People gamble no matter what happens in the macroeconomy. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyways, so that's where we started. And I think the great thing about that was my team and I approached where we are today from a very consumer-centric perspective. Uh, and what I mean with that is putting the customer, putting the target audience in the center first. I think most tech, most B2B communication starts with the company. Here's my great product. Here's my great technology Uh, let me tell you all about me and what I've accomplished." Uh, whereas you know consumer advertising what I think we were able to take with us was okay here's here's this guy who's gonna buy what we're producing what do they need what are their problems how can we help them solve their business problems better how can we make their jobs easier so kind of shifting the equation uh, I think a little bit we were pretty early with doing on the b2b side
1: and how did you get into the b2b side
2: yeah so uh, that actually started in 2009 Uh, we started working with a very small company called VMware. Uh, They had about, uh, super small, they had about (laughs) 400 people.
0: Super small.
2: Uh, And the CEO was still roaming the corridor, Diane Green was the original CEO. They uh, had a very small marketing department. They didn't have a, a campus or anything like that yet. Uh, and, and I saw you hold up your fingers showing how small they were because I said, you know, 400 people. Today, I think they're over 30,000 employees. Oh, But that was 2005. And we actually worked with them for more than 10 years. Uh, and during that time, we met a lot of really amazing marketeers uh, who went on in the, in the valley uh, to other companies and other positions. And lucky for us, they took us with them. Uh, so, awesome. so, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Uh, so somewhere around, I think, 2000 and maybe 15, 16, uh, I looked at our book of business and I realized that, wow, we, we do a lot of tech. We do a lot of B2B tech. Uh, and we're really good at it and it's really fun. Um, and I, I want to add that here. The the fun is, you know, selling Coca Cola is not exactly intellectually challenging. You know what it does. Uh, you know who's buying it, and you know why they're buying it. Selling virtualization software. That's an intellectual nut to crack. Right. Uh, it, it's you. You. It requires, especially for someone like me, coming more from an analytical perspective. It requires a lot of understanding of the product. I'm not an engineer, so you know the time I need to spend to even understand what my client does and then translate it into a language that other people can also understand. Uh, has been for me what's re- really rewarding and interesting about B2B and tech. Yeah. So anyway, so. Ten years. We met a lot of people. Yeah, and uh, I think the the last thing I'll say about where we, how we got to where we are, is. I did a count the other day in the last five years we've worked with over 75 tech brands Wow. and some really big ones like IBM and uh, you know EMC and, and Giants and some tiny ones that you've never heard of and kind of everything in between.
0: God bless the, the VMware's alumni I suppose. <laughs>
2: God bless them.
0: Yeah God bless them. If we fast forward to today obviously you have a very strong tech portfolio. Is there a particular type of of tech companies size or anything Mm -hmm. that that matters to you where you start engaging with them
2: yeah uh and I think it's a little bit different and I think we should talk about the Swedish market at some point but here in the U.S. I think we do best series c and later uh so you've gotten funding uh you are trying to 10x your gross revenue. You need to get to at least 100 million AR. Uh, And I think a lot of people don't understand that you get an investment of a You know, 100 million, 75 million, whatever that may be. You also then need to scale your marketing because the expectations increase. So at that point, you need to scale marketing to the same level that that investment because you need to drive pipeline. Right. Uh, That's what that is. That money that you raise is to increase and grow and scale your business. To do that, you need pipeline. To do that, you need marketing. And I think, you know, what happens is, you can't and you don't want to hire all of that in-house in order to scale that. And that's where teams like mine come in because we kind of become a natural part and extension of those marketing teams. And we help those marketing teams really, I mean, a lot of it is volume, getting a lot of stuff out there, but also from a brand perspective, being consistent, uh, you know, really helping them steer them on that journey. So I think that's probably one of our sweet spots. We've seen a lot of Pre-IPOs to IPOs lately, uh, you know, obviously you guys found me through Snowflake.
0: Yeah. And you said there might be a difference between US and, and Sweden or the Nordics. Where's that difference? Because you're actually
1: going from the US and now establish yourself in, I mean, the main SaaS region of the world here in the Nordics that, that we work with, right? Yes. <laughs> Trying to, to get the, the good stuff.
2: Yeah. And I mean, we we opened our office in Stockholm in 2017. Uh and back then I expected the Swedish market to be very similar to the US market. I think I was, I wouldn't say disappointed, but I was a little surprised um, that it perhaps wasn't as mature in 2017 as I expected. Uh, I think today it's a different situation. Uh we have many more companies, we have many more people involved in the industry, but I think the um the speed at with which the Swedish uh, tech startup ecosystem is growing today, I think in my mind, I was expecting to be there in 2017. So it's taken three, four years to get there, but I i, I can see it happening now. I think, um, you know, now we, we just need to get the, the U.S. Silicon Valley level investments into those Swedish companies to really scale out of the park.
0: Right, right. So... I, and I think we've seen uh, some really healthy signs of that. You know, we've had over the past three years, lots of great businesses, both IPOing at like fantastic uh, valuations. We've seen this year uh, with one of our previous uh, podcast guests, Amy Leframe from Neo4j, raising tons of money for their business. Yeah. And obviously it's, yeah. you know, an element to also fuel their US expansion, but uh, we're definitely moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um Good. I think um, we're at a point where we want to pick your brain on on a couple of things when it comes to branding and marketing. Like you're an expert in this particular field, and uh, and actually, I want to cement this conversation a little bit. We're starting to see this in the Nordic as well, where people balance or put branding and marketing sometimes in the same bucket, sometimes in two opposite buckets. Like, can you help us explain the difference, if there is any?
2: In my mind, I would say branding is almost like your personality. Um, it's, it's, uh, and I'm going to, I think it's easier to visualize it when you think in metaphors. So branding is your, obviously, look and feel, your logo, your colors, and all of that stuff. But it's also how you speak. It's your tone of voice. Are you funny? Are you humorous? Are you smart? Are you innovative? Um, are you a strong? Are you traditional? Are you, you know, there's so many so many characteristics that personalities as humans we have, but that can also that are also reflected in our brands. Uh, so for me, branding is all of those things. Uh, I think a lot of people get confused. they think branding is just a logo. It's definitely not just that. It's you know all of those things combined that tell the whole picture of who you are. Uh, so all these other things play into it. But I think the most important thing about branding is that it also has to be authentic. Um, it has to be anchored in your company's values. Uh, it has to be representative of who you are as a company. You can't just, you know, you, you can't put somebody else's makeup on. It's not going to look right. You can't wear somebody else's suit. It doesn't fit you. <laughs> and, you can, you know, we all know when you try and tell somebody else's jokes, it They kind of fall flat a lot of the time.
0: You hear that, Thomas? Don't steal my jokes. (laughs) I
1: won't try to tell your dad jokes, (laughs) Daniela. Good. Good. They're yours. They're yours. They're
2: all yours. Uh, Yeah. So I think to me, that's what branding is about. And, And I think it's really exciting. Um, And and most of the companies that you guys talk to and most of the companies we built are newer. So it's almost like Blue Ocean. We can make them into whatever we want as long as they are reflective of the culture that's being created internally. Uh, Whereas, you know, a lot of, uh, I guess, more on the consumer side, you're dealing with, say, Coca-Cola. How long have they been around? 150 years or something like that? You're not going to change that. No. That is what it is. So anyway, so that to me is branding. And it's an amazing opportunity that we have right now to create these brands and help them grow and help them find their way. Uh, and uh, marketing on the other side of the fence is almost the things you do. Okay, uh, it's, it's the activities that come from that. Uh advertising is one of them. It could be, you know, direct mail, it could be promotions, it could be all of those things, but it's the events that happen on top of that branding. So without the branding cornerstone, it's it's the foundation for everything that grows from it. Your marketing tends to fall flat because you got nothing to anchor it back to. If you have a strong brand in the center of it, all the other things that you do on top of it are gonna convert better, they're gonna be easier to optimize, they're gonna drive more pipeline. Uh, because you have something strong to pull from that's how we like to think about branding versus marketing
0: i I think that's a great explanation thank you for that um also i've personally sat around the table where we we've been debating branding and one of the the common objections is like how do you uh, motivate the investment in branding you like you said the logo the colors the tone of voice it's sometimes tricky to measure. You know, people sometimes expect, like, is it going to bring me deals? Is it going to bring me revenue? Like, what's your answer to that?
2: Yeah, I was trying to think of a a good thing here. (sighs) I think that there is a time and a place for those types of investments. And it might be, to be perfectly frank, that when you're bootstrapping it, when you're at the very, very, very early stages That might not be, spending a lot of money on branding might not be what is the most sensible thing to do. Uh, I think that this is a uh, two-headed monster. (laughs) We need to feed both heads. Mm. Uh, So at the very early stages, I think, you know, of course you need a brand, you need a name, you need some of the basics. But if you have $100, don't spend $100 on branding, you know, that... You, because you have to sustain your business. Uh, what I say to most of my CMOs is, we got to build the demand gen machine first. Because if we're not driving pipeline, you're not going to have a job, which means I'm not going to have a job. Right. So I think it's really important to focus on getting pipeline taken care of, building the demand gen machine. Uh, but somewhere along that journey you also have to build for the future. I can't say when exactly that point is because it could be different depending on the company and so, but somewhere along the line you have to also start differentiating. you have to tell your market who you are and what makes you special. And I think more than anything, you have to start being consistent. If if we go back to that enormous budget of $100, if you have $100 and you spend 20 of them saying that you're, you know, innovative and you spend 20 of them saying that you're traditional, those $40 were a waste. You got to be consistent in your message. You got to be consistent in how you look and feel and you got to be consistent in what you tell your market. Right. So somewhere along the line there, there comes a point where you shift from or you, you complement your ROI building, you complement your pipeline driving with creating a strong brand that's built for built for the future. Because if you don't do that, you're going to end up with a house of cards. Hmm. And at some point, your demand machine, the marketing factory, as we you know, which is also another foundation, it's going to falter because you're feeding it with empty calories. You need to have real good calories to keep it going going at a strong pace sas nordic is growing and now we're launching a unique peer-to-peer community on slack my name is nina i'm the sas nordic community manager and i would like to invite you to join this exciting forum this will be the place to network collaborate and share knowledge with other sas professionals in the nordics the sas nordic community is free and open to everyone working in nordic sas companies come join us at sasnordic.com. we can't wait to have you on board
1: you mentioned before that you usually become an extended part of the marketing department and uh, if you are a mature marketing department what should you do internally versus externally
2: that is a great question uh, and i think what we've seen the last few years has been a trend towards building in-house agencies
1: and that's b- bad for you right
2: yes <laughs> and i i'm gonna be self-serving here and tell tell you it's also bad for the business uh, but I'm going to tell you why without making it too self-serving. Yeah, please do. <laughs> so uh, one example, and this, this is something that we've seen both in B2B and tech, as well as on the consumer side. Uh, and I think uh, one of the reasons, the main reason, there's two reasons that drive this, or maybe three. One would be the first one is cost savings. Uh, people want to save money. Second one is um, time they think that if I have a team in-house that I can just go and breathe down their necks, it's going to go faster. And the third one, I think there's a little bit of pride. Um, if you are dealing creative, still has some swagger to it and design and all of that stuff. There's a bit of like, Oh, I want to have that in-house. It's a bit of a feather in my hat that I'm the one driving that internally. Okay. Um, but so though, I think those are the reasons people try to do it in-house Uh, Gartner released a report last year saying that the cost savings that people are getting, and this is across the board, both B2B and consumer, have not been as expected. Uh, So I think that for us here in the States, in Silicon Valley, this is something we came upon a lot probably four or five years ago. And I did lose quite a few people then uh, to in-house agencies Um, but it's becoming less and less prevalent in Silicon Valley today. I still see it in Sweden, but here it's, it's decreasing. And the reasons for the decrease, I would say is firstly, the cost savings aren't there. Okay. Secondly it's uh and and the reason it's not because imagine the people you have to build you have to have so many different functions in order to match what we have in an agency because as an agency you're only buying a fraction of my people right Mm. but if you have to have them in house you have to have a lot of work to make that that work it's a you know it's a business model that takes quite some time to finesse yeah and the other thing is right now uh, in silicon valley we've had the great resignation. Uh, obviously people leaving their jobs left right and center so hiring in itself is a pain in the butt there's just not enough people to get in you know to get in people can't hire enough mm. so outsourcing is actually in in using agencies is actually put on the upswing again I would say just from that lack of people
1: but what makes sense to do yourself or when do we need you guys yeah
2: so what you need us for uh, I think what you need internally is the you need to drive have performance marketing in-house, i.e., the people turning the levers. So you built your demand-in machine uh, and it has, you know, a bunch of levels levers that you turn right and left to optimize your performance and and to you know turn things from SQLs to MQLs and the pipeline growth and all that stuff. That you need to have control of in-house because it's such a key component. I also think you need to have product marketing in-house. Uh, nobody is going to know your product as well as you do. Yeah. And I think that having somebody in charge of that in-house makes the most sense. Uh, I think most aid, most marketing departments, most marketing teams as they grow, probably could do with having a production junior designer in-house, uh, somebody that can execute quickly on things like PowerPoint and whatnot. Yeah. And you probably... If you can afford it, you need a head of brand, head of creative, somebody that works very closely with an agency. Um, if depending on how large your team is, in setting that direction. If your team isn't that large, that's a role that falls on the CMO. But if your team is all of a sudden in the hundreds, then you probably need to to outsource somebody to be head of brand and head of creative. Mm. But what you need agencies for is to come in with those ideas to uh, to look at things from a fresh perspective because we. Truth be told, you're in-house. It's very much navel gazing. Uh, you know, it's 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 hard to see things from a new perspective when you're you know you're looking at the same things, the same people, hearing the same lore each and every day so you know what we can bring as agencies is a creativity yeah um that we can you know fuel because we have many people doing the same function in-house agencies has one of each function externally we're you know supporting and we have people who look at your kerning and your who help you drive better headlines and whatnot yeah so but also you know just those fresh ideas and that also people that question a little bit
1: yeah so do, do you do pro bono work
2: my god that is Is my passion. We do a lot of pro bono work.
1: Yeah, because Daniel, I just got a a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Is is that
0: something you can you could spill the beans here, or is that for later?
2: But I'll tell you what we do for pro bono. So, you know, back when I had my team of amazing creative minds sitting here, uh, and all of a sudden I realized that we need to be all B two B, all tech. I basically went to this room of people, and I'm like, listen. Now you get to work inside of this brand box. It's very small. Uh, And also, by the way, it's blue because everything in tech is blue. It might be a PMS difference here or there, but everything (laughs) is blue. So I thought, holy moly, all these people are going to leave me and they're amazing. How can I keep them excited? How do I keep them creatively flowing? So uh, I thought, let's do some pro bono work, selfishly, because if people aren't, necessarily paying for it. They can't tell you what to do.
0: Right. Uh, Or they they can't complain. (laughs)
2: Exactly. So what started out as perhaps a selfish endeavor to have creative freedom, though, quickly, I mean, now I get a little serious here, evolved into something much more uh, important, I don't think in Sweden you guys can comprehend what we have in here in Silicon Valley. San Francisco is one of the richest cities in the world. And before the pandemic, 20% of the population did not know where their next meal was going to come from. Oh. Imagine that. 20% of the population don't know where their next meal is going to come from.
0: That's insane. It's crazy and, and sad at all at the same time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so, and we don't have the type of funding you have in, in uh, Sweden. It's not government funded. All, all, uh, nonprofits are privately funded. And so for us, uh, we work with the San Francisco Marine Food Bank, which is a great organization uh, that feed, I forget how many there, I mean, the, the numbers of people that they they feed is astronomical and has gone up during the pandemic. And we also work with the Second Harvest of Silicon Valley, which is a, also a huge organization that helped feed people.
0: I love that. That's very nice and honorable. It's it's, it's great when, when businesses that do well can also contribute back to to society. Um, Speaking about contributing back, I know there's a lot of uh, uh, Nordic uh, SaaS leaders listening to this and I wanted to, uh, again, put you a little bit to the test. You've tested the water both in the US and, and, and in the Nordics now. Would you say there is a particular difference between how B2B companies market in US versus in the Nordics? And is there something to learn for the Nordics leaders from this?
2: Yes, I think so. And I don't think, I think you've heard this before, potentially. But I was still sort of surprised when we came to Sweden. Like I mentioned, four years ago, the market was a little bit slower than I expected compared to here. Even though there's a lot of really great companies and there's a lot of great technology um, what we see here, I'll start with Silicon Valley. What we see here is somebody starts something, has an idea, has a technology, and they think, well, this is good enough to test. Let's put it out on the market and let's see what type of feedback we go, we get. And so we do campaigns around it, we get the word out, <clears throat> we start doing marketing. And then we look, you know, oh, wow, that perhaps wasn't the best market fit we imagined. Let's pivot. If we do this instead, (laughs) this will work over here. You know, what started out as a restaurant something all of a sudden becomes a marketing something. And you find a new market and you find a new vertical industry. And and, and, like I said, pivot is what we do day in and day out. Sweden uh, and the Nordics, what I've seen so far, has been a much more perfection. We are uh, a people of perfection. We like to make sure that the products and the technology we have and that we bring to market is perfect and working exactly as intended. Um, And then once we are there, we kinda of go to market and we say, Well, you know, we have this and it might work and it's it seems excuse like us. it could excuse, excuse us. it. It seems like it could be quite good, but we're not a hundred percent sure. It's not perfect yet. We haven't quite tested it. So I mean it's stuff that we've all heard before. It sounds a little bit cliche, mm. but it's also incredibly true. Here in you know, in the US, we go in the Silicon Valley specifically, we bang on our big drums the first thing we do. Yeah. And, you know, we we make claims that are perhaps not possible not true <laughs> not true sometimes but then we pivot
1: right yeah you pivot and, and then you win so uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly pivot. Uh, so what trends do you see in marketing and branding for b2b SaaS companies in 2022 if you look in the crystal ball
2: yeah uh i think that what we've seen the last few years which i think will continue is actually a resurgence of branding in b2b uh, we have done a lot of rebrands, brand extensions, lots of work like that, and a lot of that is driven by the IPO market. Uh, you know, the the IPO market is really hot at the moment. I heard somebody say, um, I forgot which bank it was, but they have thirty four IPOs to get out by the end of the quarter their quarter whatever it was so that's i mean that's an astronomical amount and that's here right yeah. and so when when that ipo is in in your on your um, in your future you you double down on branding cuz you want to get your house in order you want to look as good as you can before you get out there so lots of rebrand stuff
0: we have a saying for that in sweden here you've been out for way too many years maybe you don't remember put lipstick on the pig <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes, a little bit. Hopefully they're not pigs underneath. but <laughs> <laughs> Some of them are, but most of them are not. So that I think will be important. Uh, ABM, uh, continuing to uh, to po- focus on account-based marketing, naming accounts and going after that, I think will be big. Uh, and I think we will see a continued focus on who the buyer is. I think as B2B and tech marketeers, we're understanding more and more that we can't just tell people about our technology. We have to consider what their needs are too.
1: Okay, cool. So what are you looking for right now at Sköna? Or uh, yeah, if you want to do another shout out to the community. Here.
2: <laughs> what am I looking for? Well, I'm looking to continue our growth uh, as a company, uh, to continue to hire great people, And we are actually looking at Asia uh, as our next expansion. Um, We are planning to dip our toes in Singapore uh, next year uh, from a growth perspective to see how that kind of plays out.
1: So if you got to hire one person, what would your
0: wish be then? What, What kind of person do you want to hire? And, and to make it difficult, you can't pick me me or Thomas.
2: <laughs> a person or a role?
0: A role. How about a role? A person would be cool. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I was like, wait, can I hire Bill Gates?
0: No, a role. A role.
2: <laughs> and does he have to have? Do I have to pay him, or can he just come and work for me?
0: Like let's say, yeah, like unlimited budgets, you can hire for the ideal role. What role is it?
2: You know what? Uh, so we have a lot of open wrecks right now. We're looking for people from production, interactive, digital designers, head of digital. We're looking for a client service strategist, those those types of people. And we're looking for designers. But I think more than anything, if I had unlimited budget and could hire anybody, I'd hire a kick-ass HR people person, because I think that I would really try to focus on keeping my people, making sure they're happy, making sure that they have everything that they need to be, you know, do a good job and feel challenged and feel like they're growing in their roles. And I think that I'm lacking a little bit there myself, given that we're a small company. So I would hire the best people person I could.
0: Love it. Love it. All right. That's awesome. So to wrap things up here, you know what I'm going to ask you now, who would you like to see next on the show?
2: Okay, I've thought about this. Oh. And I was going to say something like, you know, of course, Zuckerberg or maybe Scott Galloway.
1: Yeah, he wanted to be on the show. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I'm sure he did. <laughs> yes, he would be awesome.
1: On, on
0: the waiting list. <laughs>
2: yeah, he's on the waiting list. Who would be even more awesome would be somebody who sits on a lot of boards, uh, a VC guy from Silicon Valley who has big money bags, because I want the Nordics to have... Not just a hundred million Swedish. I want them to have a hundred million US in investments, so that we can scale, and I want that to be the the baseline. So I think that you guys should go after Mike Spicer, uh, who is on uh, a couple of boards here. I think he would be a fantastic guest on this podcast.
0: You know that guy, Daniel? Do you know who it is? I, I have heard of, of Mike. I thought you were going for Horowitz, but we'll, we'll take Spencer as well. So, Spicer. if you're if you're if if you're if you're listening to this, you know, give us a call. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, then. Uh, but uh, Jenny, thank you so much for. Uh, you know, talking to us today—it's uh, early morning in Silicon Valley. Uh, a lot of stuff to take care of in the morning with the kids and everything. We know that, and uh, yeah, appreciate it a lot.
2: And you better go and take care of your broccoli for your kids.
1: <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> or actually cauliflower—or was it cauliflower? And, and yeah, it's <laughs> cauliflower, and my wife, uh, she were putting the finishing touches on the um, on the mash. So let's see
0: if it's eatable. <laughs>
2: All right, guys. Well, thank you for having me on. It was really fun to chat with you. Enjoyed it tremendously.
0: Thank you. The pleasure was all ours. Take care now. Thanks. See ya. See ya. So Daniel,
1: did you have any takeaways for this episode?
0: I did. I did. Uh, Not surprisingly, Jenny was was really good. And I think uh, one of the things that stuck with me was her uh, well carved out definition of what brand versus marketing is and how she explain brand being the personality and marketing more the actions and activities you do i think that was one of the best definitions i've heard in a while what about you thomas
1: yeah it's really good and it makes you think about your own personality and i think that's something that we might have to talk a little bit about going forward
0: (laughs) all right that note on that note, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note. Well, is there
1: anything particularly that stood out I think it's we're pretty good personality I, ho- I hope that uh, I mean for the things that we do with the podcast and with the events and all the other stuff uh, is um, the thing that uh, the community appreciates I hope so but it's good to be
0: aware it is it is otherwise this is the biggest lie ever yeah <laughs> uh, yeah no so a really good episode and I think we will be hearing more from Jenny going forward. But you must have had something, Thomas. I know marketing is close to your heart, and, and you're on our end you're working with our brand and with our communication. Is there anything that you walk away with here that you felt like, God damn it, that's, that's, I'm taking that away?
1: Well, I mean, it might sound as a cliche, but uh, if you're really going to do it, I think it, it comes down to a lot of work. And that is, you know, start with the customer. Because it's so easy and I think almost everyone does it. Even if you say you're going to start with the customer, you talk about how good your company is, how good your product is and so on. But really go down and know the customer, spending time with the customer, describing the challenges the customer have and, and, and start from there instead. Uh, I think that's if you do it for real, I think it can be uh, fantastic.
0: Yeah, and I think, I don't know if you, you purposely teed this up to ask, ask <laughs> to have me ask you this, but you know, we're wrapping up the year now, it's, it's the day before New Year's Eve, when we're recording this, and 13 months in, and I know you've had a lot of one-to-one conversation with the SaaS community out there with individuals, like, if you would be put a number on it, how many individuals did you have a conversation with regarding SaaS Nordic and what we do over the past 13 months?
1: I think we are counting over a thousand at least.
0: Yeah, that's impressive.
1: And uh, looking forward to to meet many more, many thousands more in the year to come. Uh, We have some really good networks that we are starting up. And of course, we have the Slack channel and the event and everything. So uh, we are here for you and we're going to be here a lot more in the year to come. Definitely.
0: So winning personality, winning attitude. Hopefully you guys will enjoy it next year as well. Happy New Year. Happy New Year.